in June 2019, I took my wife to the hospital and she was admitted to the hospice section. And uh, as you know, hospice means the end is near. While she was still uh, with me, with us, before the uh, drugs took, uh, took a hole, I asked her, I said, Karen, do you think we've been right? Do you think we, what we've taught, what we've done is right? And uh, you may say, well, I don't understand why you would ask that question. After all, you had been in the, in the, on the field in France, uh, out of America for X number of years preaching and teaching. But as I walked around at the hospital and, and stuck my head in rooms and saw people who were one step away from the grave, talked to the doctors, tried to talk to the nurses, and, and even have a chaplain who came in and wanted to anoint Karen's head with, with oil, and I said absolutely not, because she's been ready for this moment since a night in Sankinac when she was 13 years old. So why was I asking this question at that time? And uh, it's probably pretty simple because something like death is far off much of our life. When we were in our 20s and 30s and 40s, who ever thought about ending your life? Here, we were days away from the end, days away. Were we right or wrong? Is Jesus Christ the only way to the Father? Did he really pay for all of our sins, for all of my sins, for all of Karen's sins when he died? And these are thoughts that drove me, drove us at that moment uh, to go back to the basics of what we believe, of what I believe, or at least what we say we believe. And by basics, I mean basics. The number one question, is there a God? Is there a God? I lived in a society uh, in France that doesn't necessarily care whether there's a God or not, and they're doing very well. My next question was, how do I know that there's a God? My next question was, what is the proof that he's there? Is it just something I was told and so I believed it out of rote memory? Has he communicated with me, with us? And finally, is there a clear and simple answer to the horror of death and the finality of life on earth? A clear and simple answer. Well, as you can imagine, the answer, yes, there's a God. There's a supreme being in the universe. And I know this from the universe that's around us, from creation, without even looking at the scripture, because I cannot think of anything, and I would challenge you to present something to me that hasn't been designed. From this pulpit, to my computer, to the automobiles, everything that is done has somebody behind it who designed it and the universe works like a fine Swiss, Swiss watch. Anything goes wrong and we're done, but it hasn't, it hasn't. And in Romans 1 verse 20 he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Does it talk there about Christ? Not at all. Does it talk about the word of God? Not at all. It talks about what we see around us. So there is a God. And there's a book that tells me about the beginning 
that tells me about the end and the process between the two. And the subject of death in this book is dealt brutally and violently by God himself because he took on death and conquered it. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, very simply, that God is pleased to save those who believe this message. God is saved to please those who believe the gospel. So my next question is, what is the gospel? Now, you may think, oh, of course you know what the gospel is. Well, I'm not so sure. Is the gospel four books in the New Testament? Is the gospel the little phrases that we pass around from time to time? God loves the world. Oh, yeah? God loves one another. Hmm. Is that the gospel message? Feed the hungry, clothe the poor. Is that the gospel message? Do something miraculous, make the world better. Is that the gospel message? Is that what I'm called to believe in this verse? Is that what I would share at that moment from the finality of death when Karen was going to leave? Well, the answer, of course, is no. The gospel and the best description of the gospel that I can find is in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. And it's written, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which you are saved. By which you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached, unless you believed in vain. Now, he didn't tell us yet what the gospel is, but here we go. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And there, my friends, is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and nothing else and nothing less. Now, we might think, well, of course. Well, when you're surrounded by people who have no interest whatsoever, after a while, you begin to wonder, is that really true? Is that really true? But the scripture says Jesus had to die. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hmm. The burial of Jesus Christ. Why would you worry about the burial of Christ? Because it was the soldiers who announced that he was dead. In John chapter 19, verses 31 and 33, they broke the legs of the two men either side of him, but they didn't break his because he was dead. So the day was over. It's time to go home and have a beer and relax. We're done until we come back tomorrow and kill some more people. But that one there is dead. And of course, after three days, he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. And that gospel is so important that it was written in Galatians chapter 1. Some words that I don't think that I would even utter them. He says there, verse 6, I am amazed that you are quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really is not another, but there are those who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ, even though we or an angel in heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. 
<laughs> Boy, that's tough. That's tough. Verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again to you, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. So, what's the problem? The problem seems to be that we as human beings don't like most of the time what is written. The first century people were called upon to believe in a radical Jew from Nazareth who declared himself to be God and they believed it and then he died and rose three days later. But there's been a change in culture, a change in understanding since then. Because you see, Christianity today in America and Western Europe provides a lot of goodies, a lot of goodies, particularly holidays. We have Christmas, we have Easter, we have Ascension Thursday, which is a four-day holiday in France, we have Pentecost Monday, which is a three-day holiday, a weekend, it announces the summer is coming, and then there's August 15th, and then as we speak, they're in the midst of a two-week holiday for all saints. All saints. So you see, Christianity globally provides a lot of goodies. A lot of goodies. Unfortunately, often the gospel is lost. Now, we have to ask the question, if it's that important, why is it good news? Why is the gospel good news? The answer begins to get radical. It's good news because without it, we are lost for all eternity. And I don't like that, and I hope you don't like that, but it's what the scripture teaches. Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. So he does not hear. Huh. Huh. We flip over to Romans chapter 3, and it gets a little bit worse. It gets a little bit worse. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Well, I know quite a few people, and I'm sure you do also, they're pretty good people. I had the best dentist in the world for ages until he retired. He was phenomenal, never any pain. And I have six crowns, never any pain. And when he used to put me back in the chair, he would laugh and he would say, aha, now I'm descending you into hell. That was funny. I tried to talk to him. Nobody believes those fairy tales. He was lost, but he was a great dentist. He was a great dentist. Across the board, we can vertically name people that we do not like the idea that they are lost and headed for a tragic eternity. Horizontally, there's nothing but trouble. Politicians, musicians, sports figures, doctors, nurses, neighbors, grandmothers, grandfathers, all on the same level. Because the Lord says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, 
For God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. And that, in a sense, is comforting because everybody's on the same plane. The playing field is level. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, Democratic or Republican. It doesn't matter whether you're pro-abortion or anti-abortion or pro-capital punishment. Everybody is lost until they come to faith in Christ. So what do we do with this? Well, what I'm about to say gets a little bit worse because we cannot have it both ways. We cannot have our cake and eat it too. If we accept the gospel as it is presented in the word of God, then we are announcing the exclusiveness of the good news. Nobody gets their sins forgiven aside from faith in Christ. There's no other way. Once again, when you surround yourselves, when we surround ourselves with people who always believe the same thing, after a while you think, well, everybody believes that. <laughs> That's not necessarily true. As a matter of fact, it's absolutely false. But when you surround yourself, when we surround ourselves with people who say, you're crazy. Well, no, I don't really buy that. After a while, you begin to think, is it really true? Is, but they're good people. But they're good people. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no salvation in any other but Jesus Christ. The consequences of believing this message are important because the consequences of unbelief are tragic and eternal for good people and for bad people. First, the second Thessalonians chapter one says, with the return of Christ, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say to those who never got a speeding ticket. It doesn't say to those who never stole anything. It doesn't say to those who uh, never looked at another woman with lust or looked at another man with lust. What it says, those who do not obey the gospel. In spite of the fact that their vertical life is in shape. If it's not complete horizontally, they are headed for a they are headed for a tragic eternity. Embracing the good news of the gospel means saying no to any form of pleasing God that is intolerant, narrow-minded, and bigoted. In reality, it's not us. Believer, 99% of the time. The answer is, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Because they know as soon as they say yes to that, they are saying no to everything else. What were the results of the gospel when it was first preached? Let's take a look at a couple verses in Acts. Some of it is spectacular. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, after the apostle Peter preached, it says, 
and they were continually devoting themselves. No, so those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. That's good news. And then chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now, is that 2,000 added to the three, making five, or is that 5,000 new converts? I'm not sure, and it doesn't matter. But that was the result. However, however, since the Lord hides nothing from his word, it gets a little bit worse. Chapter 5, verse 33. But when they heard that what Peter and the apostles were saying, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. Huh intending to slay them. Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 24, 19 to, to 20, states, But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the multitude, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead, because he announced the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, he made his way to Mars Hill and he was ridiculed by a group of intellectuals. Yeah, we'll hear you later, but we're not necessarily interested now. Some things have not changed, no matter where we go on the planet Earth. And the gospel stays the only way for things to be right between man and God, between humanity and God. So why is this important? Well, here's the part where I get to act like someone who's been on the field 37 years, has turned 70 last January, and say, I'm afraid I see some slippage. I'm afraid I see some things fading away. I'm afraid I see some loose ends, and we need to tighten them up, right? The first thing that I have fearful, it's a sliding away from the exclusiveness of the gospel. What I mean by that is there are certain voices saying, maybe, just maybe, there's another way. Maybe we've been too harsh. Maybe sincerity does count, but we did not allow it. Maybe people who, who are uh, open to other ways will be forgiven. Not according to scripture. Not according to the scripture. Be careful, be very careful about what you hear. What you hear. Another fear that I have, another question that I have is changing the gospel to include, without the word, humanitarian efforts. I'm all in favor of humanitarian efforts. It doesn't matter whether it's a sandwich, whether it's a house, whether it's putting lights in, in homes for the first time. At the same time, give them the gospel. Give them something from God's word. And if a group says, well, we're not really interested in that, we're only interested in doing what we do, I would say, find another group. Find another group. Right? Humanitarian efforts. I have, how many times I have <clears throat> longed to be back at Acme Markets when I was on the field because I had natural contacts. When I'm over in France during the years, they were all unnatural. 
I had to go out. I had to somehow find a way to talk to these people about Christ, which is way down the line of, of conversation. They were not natural. But humanitarian efforts, whether they be medical, whether they be clothing, uh, you name it, are excellent opportunities as long as the word of God is included. Include the word of God. A little closer to home, there's the desire to have the approval of friends and family, co-workers and neighbors, rather than the approval of God. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. How many people have accepted Christ and after that never opened their mouth to anyone else because they're afraid of what someone might think? I've done it, and I know you've done it. It's wrong. It's wrong. But once a whole group begins to move in that direction and everybody says, well, yeah, well, I don't like to do this and we're too bold and we don't want to offend, et cetera, et cetera, the gospel is going to offend everybody. It's going to offend everybody. When the truck driver first talked to me about Jesus Christ, I hated every single word until God broke through. Until God broke through. Another thought we just get weary. We get weary and worn out because we spend so much effort to untangle the theological and irrational beliefs of people because we care. Because we care. In November 2019, I went up to Brussels, Belgium, to visit a young man who had passed through the uh, university work. He was an active evangelist, he was a music student, and we went to one of the college campuses and we were passing out invitations for students to come to his apartment for a dinner and a Bible study. And uh, so we went there, we came back on the metro or subway, whatever you would call it, and we come up out of the metro, and as I come up, a woman comes toward me, she's got a map in one hand, and she begins to ask me, do you know where such and such a place is? And I said to her, I don't know anything about this city, but my friend here, he knows. So she began to talk to him. While she's talking to him, I observe she has a bag over her shoulder, and on the bag is written in English, Jesus died for somebody's sins. And I'm looking at this bag, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? And they're going at it. Bah, 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 bah. And finally, the conversation's over, and they hear the merci and uh, things like that. And I said to my friend, Teddy, I said, Teddy, look at her bag. Jesus died for somebody's sins. And the woman takes the bag, and she turns it around. And on the other side, it says, but not mine. But not mine. And I'm standing there looking at this, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And she said, I was raised in a religion that heaped tons of guilt on us, and I hated it, and I hate anything to do with forgiveness. And so I said, well, somebody's got to die for your sins. And she said, I don't want to talk about it, and she left. Untangling the irrational beliefs of people. It takes time, and it's weary. It's wearying. So... Those are some of the things that I see happening, right? Well, what are we gonna do? 
What are we going to do? As you well know, Jesus said that the house that is built on the rock in Matthew chapter 7, the house is the result of hearing and applying the word of God. Not just hearing it, but putting it to use. So, I have these verses in Romans chapter 10 that I want to finish with. It says, verse 13, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Unless they are sent. Those verses just bring such peace to my heart. God wants people to be on the move with the gospel. Not with political ideas, not with ideas that will change some section of society. When the gospel is adhered to, those other things will take care of themselves. But those who are sent need to preach Christ. Preach Christ. I always remember <clears throat> right after I was converted, we went down to a Sunday B. And uh, I can't remember who took us, but we were there. And uh, I think Maggie Dragas played the piano. It, it was just crazy. But we were there. And on the wall, it was written, preach Christ for 20 minutes. After that, the men are asleep. <laughs> preach Christ. Preach Christ. Okay? Those who need to be sent need to be supported and put out there. And they need to give account that they're preaching Christ. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that, fathers? What are you going to do with that, household parents? What are you going to do with that, church leaders? Preach Christ. I'm going back to France on December 8th. I'll help out in uh, the local church. I'll preach at, at two different places. I'll help out in the university work wherever they want me. I'm not taking any more positions of responsibility, but I'm going to get involved. And I hope I get opportunities to talk to people about Christ. What are you going to do? By the way, the answer for Karen before she slipped away on June 29th, 2019, was yes. We have been scriptural in presenting the answer to those who have crossed our paths. They may not have liked it, but we have been scriptural. When Charles Spurgeon was on his deathbed, the English preacher, back in the 1800s, one of his young disciples asked him this question, teacher, with all that you have taught, with all that you have written, with all the books that you have published, what is the most important part of your theology? And Spurgeon answered, my theology has been reduced to four words. Christ died for me. That's it, the gospel. Christ died for me. So as we move forth, move out of here this afternoon, this morning, whatever it is, Think about that. What are you going to do to get the gospel out as an individual, as a family, as a body of believers? Because I think that's what God wants.
If you don't mind, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you that you exist. We thank you that you have given us your word and direction. And we know, Lord, that uh, our message is really tough to swallow at the beginning because nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. But we're wrong, Lord. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so, Lord, pray for patience, and we thank you for your patience with us and for opportunities that you give us to talk to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.